0: Well, good morning, Orangewood. Good morning morning again. What an honor and a privilege it is uh, to be back here amongst family. Every time I come to Orangewood, I feel like I'm right at home. Uh, And I'm grateful that in your pastor, I found a brother from another mother. Um, Jeff and I are great friends, closest friends, and the Lord put him in my life and and he'll tell you, God may have put me in his life, but God just linked us together. And I'm grateful to have such a confidant, such a counselor, and a brother and friend in uh, Jeff Jake. So um, act like you love him by clapping your hands for him right now. <laughs> Amen. Uh, him and his wife, Katie, blessings to, to them and to uh, Pastor Joe and Larry. Uh, for your leadership and all of the elders here as well as the deacons of this church. We honor you in your respected places and uh, certainly we honor all of my father's children that make up this uh, great congregation. Uh, Before we go into the word of God, let's just pray. Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Father, I pray that these that are here Um, We'll have an ear to hear what your spirit is going to say. Uh, Not be here only, but a doer of your word. Cleanse us today with the washing of water by your word, because your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I bring you greetings straight from the mission field. Just got back one o'clock this morning from Bolivia, and um, so I'm a little bit on the clouds for real. (laughs) I hope... Don't just anything come out of my mouth today. Um, but uh, we we were blessed to see some tremendous things and for God to have uh, used us in, uh, in the way he did, uh, myself and the other team members there in La Paz and El Alto, Bolivia. And if you know anything about Bolivia, it's two and a half miles above sea level. So, you know, you take a few steps and you're tired. Um, so coming back down to sea level, I'm feeling pretty good right about now. So uh, not not feeling as tired as probably I will uh, later on, but I'm grateful that the Lord brought us safe back home, uh, got us uh, home this morning. Um, Certainly was grateful, glad to see my wife again. Uh, It's the longest we've been separated in almost 26 years. Um, She couldn't be with us this morning, but sends her love and greetings. Um, But I'm also blessed to have my two mothers with me, my wife's mother and my mom. Uh, Emma Easter, Marie Outing, <laughs> amen. What a blessing to see uh, mama them. Yeah. Uh, where was I going to go next? Um, let's go into the word of God. First John two twelve through 14. I want to speak to you about... A multi-generational God and church. A multi-generational God and church. The Apostle John writes, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. A sort of problem statement that I would like to just sort of uh set the framework of this message up with. And that is in my study, research, travels, um uh, talking with different pastors and just personal experience, uh it seems like and when I say the church, um I'm not locking in Orangewood, but Orangewood is part of the church as all churches should be. But from just kind of across the board, the church seems to be losing a generation. The Fuller Youth Institute, a Christian think tank, if you will, uh, that reaches the 20s and thirties somethings uh, says this, and it was reported in Relevant Magazine, that 40 to 50% of young Christians fail to stick to their faith or connect with church after leaving high school. Half of the youth, the young people that grow up in church, once they get past high school, once they get to college, once they get away from mom and dad and away from their accountability environment, they are walking away from God and from the church. According to the research, asking these young Christians the question, uh, what is the gospel? What does Christianity mean? And an overwhelming majority in this research said, uh, basically, the gospel is a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's what they responded in terms of what they thought the gospel was, a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. Hmm. Not that it's about the death or, or the life, rather, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and how he came to uh, save sinners and forgive us of our sins. No, it says a bunch of do's and don'ts. And so uh, basically the, 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 the younger generation is saying, we see this as Christianity or the gospel maybe because of how they've been taught or what they've been taught. Hmm. So they call this a behavioralist view of the gospel. Uh, this is problematic for a lot of reasons, but one of which uh, that when students fail to live up to those behaviors, they end up running from God and the church when they need both the most. Because we tend to be hard on our children. We tend to... um want to sort of micromanage their life. And I can testify even of my own self, my own journey of parenting six kids, uh, four sons and two daughters. They're all young adults. And I remember uh, just briefly just kind of testifying, it was a few years ago that uh, I almost had a nervous breakdown. And I went to a very dark place because there are some things going on with a couple of my children, one in particular I didn't know how to process. But the reality of it is God was coming after me because there was some, there was the sin of pride in my life that revealed itself three different ways. One, I cared more about my reputation as a pastor and a community leader than I did my children. Number two, I started distancing myself from people. My wife, uh, my two my two ace boom cooms, if you will, my brothers, Jeff being one of them. I just separated myself from everybody. And then, third, I felt like God owed me something. And I began to remind God of all the stuff that He must have forgot about. Because I went back in my life. Lord, I gave my life to you when I was 11. I was a good boy. Mama tell you, wasn't I a good boy, Mama? Yeah. <laughs> Now, she did have to whip me a few times, but uh, she whipped Jesus into me. That's what it was. Um, You know, but I was a good boy, if you will. Married early, married my first real girlfriend, um, and we built a life together. So I was, you know, I felt like I did all the check marks of all the stuff you're supposed to do. So I assumed that. God was going to do the same for my seed and my children or I was going to see those same results and the reality of it was I didn't i, I didn't begin to see all of that didn't know how to process it and so the Lord was really coming after me because he was coming after the pride that was in my heart that I didn't see it's the worst of sins because you can have it and not know it and it's the sin that brought Satan down when he was called Lucifer uh, from the throne and you know I'm you know, I realized that we have a responsibility, and I thought, you know, checking off the marks, you know, I was, uh, you know, I wasn't a deadbeat dad. I was present. I was, I did all the stuff. I was the basketball coach. I was football coach. I was PTA president. Yeah. A black man was the PTA president. (laughs) Where you see that at? You know, did all those things. Went on vacation, loved them, had devotion at the house. Just assume that there was going to be a certain result that would come from that. But I based my relationship at that time on a lot of do's and don'ts. The law, if you will. And how are you going to do this to me? And that became problematic. And what that ended up doing is really driving them away from you. But God is very intentional about being a Multi generational and an intergenerational God. In Titus 2, we find that the Apostle Paul is encouraging the older women to teach the younger ones uh, and to teach, and for the men to teach the younger men. There has to be opportunities, not only within our families, but within the church itself where the younger are hanging out or mixing it with the older so it can be a handoff and a mentoring of those who know something and those who got strength but don't know too much. So John says, I'm writing to you children and youth. You're strong, you're zealous, you're passionate, but I write to you fathers because you know something, you know about God, you've walked with God and together you all need to value each other. Hmm. The 20 or 30 somethings, that generation is either leaving church altogether or they're starting their own church and fellowship groups because they feel like the church is not relevant for them. So imagine what a church would be like if it uh, had intergenerational, multigenerational Folks serving alongside each other. When I came in in the first service, I was grateful brother greeted me. You know, then he introduced me his daughter who was standing at the door. She was standing there serving too. I said, man, that's it. The younger people serving alongside of the older ones. I would love to see that in praise teams and worship teams and ushers and every auxiliary that we have so that there can be this handoff because we're not doing a good job of it today, and we assume that, you know, and we, we sort of, sort of, uh, like one brother told me this morning, he's sort of on autopilot with his children because we assume, you know, check mark, going to a Christian school. Check. We're Christians. Check. We go to the great Orangewood Church. Check. So our children just going to turn out wonderful. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we put those check marks there. But there's no real intentionality a lot of times within families or within the church to mix it up with the various generations. We tend to, when folks get older and They're coming into the sunset of life and they're getting into their 70s and their 80s and their 90s and they're just sort of part of the elderly ministry. But what would be what would it be like if the elderly the elderly folk had sessions throughout the year with the younger ones? You ain't done till you're done. You know When you're 80 years old, you're supposed to be enjoying life. You're supposed to be in chill-out mode. Y'all know what chill-out means, right? Some of y'all from the hood out here. You're supposed to be in chill-out mode. But at 80 years old, this old man, he's in the desert, and he sees a burning bush, and God says, Go, deliver my people from Israel, 80-year-old Moses. Maybe his steps were a little shorter. And said, Lord, you want me to go back to Egypt? Yeah, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, now had it been me, I was like, Lord, could you, you could have told me this when I was 40, when I had a little... You don't, don't wait till I'm 80 years old. So that tells me ministry... And it's not over with you just because you get older. And you, we need to find ways in which we not only honor the older ones, but use them for God's glory to help teach these young people something. Because they got a lot of zeal, but they crazy. They, they don't know nothing. <laughs> and so God is very intentional. Watch, Watch God. All right, when he introduced himself to Moses, he says, I am the God of Abraham. He stopped with Abraham. I'm a multi-generational God. I'm the God of the father, the son, and the grandson. And in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it also tells us how the Bible says that Abraham dwelt in tents with Isaac and with Jacob because it was determined that they were all heirs of the promises. So you got the, the old man Abraham intent dwelling with his son and his grandson so they can make sure that the faith continues. And God is known throughout Scripture, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then we look at the end of Malachi, the fourth chapter, the last verse. It talks about this. Before that great and terrible day of the Lord, I am going to send forth Elijah, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers back to the children, and the heart of the children back to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with a curse, and then God got silent for 400 years. There was prophetic silence between the Testaments, between Malachi and Matthew. God is prophetically silent to mankind. So basically, before he gets silent, I want y'all to chew on this. Fathers need to return to the sons, and sons need to return to the fathers. And you know what? If y'all don't get together, I'm coming with a curse. And then he got quiet. And fathers, the big picture here of the fathers is the the, the patriarchs themselves, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the faith of the patriarchs has to be a part of the children's life. If the children don't take on the faith of the patriarchs, then there will be curse in the land. And one of the biggest issues of our day today The one of the largest issues in our day to day, the single most important wrong or issue of our day is the absence of fathers. 75 to 80 percent of the people in prison have one thing in common. Now, they all committed different crimes, but the one thing they have in common was father. And you don't think there's an important message there? There has to be a connection, a handoff, a passing of the baton. You know what? I love being around older people. If you want to just see me, now I can talk. Anybody know me know I can talk. But if you ever wanna see me get a little quiet and just sort of listen, put me around a bunch of elderly people. Cause they know stuff I don't. And when they talk, they make they they can tell me some stuff. They may not have a whole lot of strength to do whole Whole lot of anything, but they know a little something. They said, "Baby, let me tell you something." <laughs> and you need, and we need to listen. And I love how Hebrews twelve, when it says, "Wherefore we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses," it's in reference to Hebrews eleven, where it just lists all those leaders of the faith. Abel and Abraham and Sarah and, you know, it talks about Noah. It talks about uh, David and Samson, Jephthah, Rahab. All those leaders and, and patriarchs and matriarchs are listed in the 11th chapter. But then the 12th chapter, says, because of the faith of these dead people, the fathers and the matriarchs, I'm just paraphrasing here, you who are living need to lay aside every weight, every sin that does so easily beset you so that you might run the race that is given to us. So guess what? The race you're running ain't a race that, that's, that's a, that, that is by yourself or that you're alone in. The race that you're running is not a hundred-yard dash. It's not a single event issue. The race that we're running is a... You call it when they hand off the baton, a relay race. We're running a relay race. The baton is the word of God. The baton is the faith of the fathers and it's handed off to us and our job is to hand it off to the next generation so they can hand it off to the next generation. There's no such thing as coming up with your own thing. We want to do church a different way. Really? If the church you're trying to do don't match how the fathers did it. Something wrong with that. So it is very, 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 very important. You know, when I, when I did study of this message, get prepared for it, I thought about the Abraham of our family. I thought about how my grandfather, who um, was 20-something years old, and he was in the, uh, started out in the Army Air Corps, Uh, First of all, if I go further back, he dropped out of school at the fourth grade because his father walked out on him and his mom and and his sisters. So granddaddy had to go and uh, go to work at age nine to help support his family. Eventually he joins the Army Air Corps. He gets married. They have this little boy who happened to be my dad and the commanding officer said that he could bring his wife and son with him from I think they were living in Orlando at the time, to Alaska. And then what happened, the commanding officer changed his mind and said, you can't bring him. And so my old unsaved, didn't know Jesus yet grandfather went after him with a butcher knife. But it was that incident became a road of Damascus for him because when he was in prison, he testifies that a light broke through the cell where he was in Alaska, and he heard the voice of God saying, why don't you live right? Right there in the cell block, he repents and gets his, gives his life to Christ, receives the Lord Jesus in his life. Eventually he goes, he gets, I mean, gets cleared of those charges. He's able to go back home um, to his family. Now, fast forwarding the story, then I'll come back. He retired 30 years in the Air Force in 1971 and was the first non-commissioned officer to receive a parade at MacDill Air Force Base. A three-war veteran, Korea, Vietnam, and World War II, and he lived to tell it all. But when he came home, my then nine, ten-year-old father saw the difference in his dad, and he gave his heart to Christ. And God called him to preach at an early age, you may not believe it, but it's true. Dad started preaching at age 11 and began to travel throughout the southeast part of the United States, preaching the gospel as a little boy. And my grandfather and grandmother would say, he was just wise beyond his years, and people came from miles around to see him. What a blessing. Now, you don't think God can use 11 year old The youngest kings of Israel was like seven, Josiah how would you like to serve under a president that's seven years old mm-hmm. and have Twinkies for lunch? Excuse me. I can't make any decisions now. I got to go eat my Twinkies. You know, young God uses people at different times at different ages. And so I think about that. And then of course dad had four sons and one daughter oh, with the help of my mom, of course. Um, and all four of their sons are ministers. Two of us are pastors. My sister is a psalmist. When I think about our life and, and when I looked at this multi-generational aspect of God, I think about even my own family, how it started with my grandfather just starting to kill a man and put him in prison. That's where God met him. He changed his life, and it changed the trajectory of our entire family forever because he became our Abraham. Then my father, the Isaac, and we are the Jacobs, and we're trying to pass it on to our children because God is a multi-generational God. Get that in your spirit that God wants to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still. You may be the Abraham of your family. If you're the first generation Christian, you're at the Abrahamic level and you're literally changing your seed and the direction of your family forever. You may be at Isaac level. You may be at Jacob level. Wherever you are in the process, know that you are important. Amen? And then when I think about, too, the life of Christ, the Bible chronicles his age. From birth to about two, and then it skips to 12, then it skips to 30. But there are some things that we learn about what the Bible says about Christ in those age that I think is very important for us, that at birth, he is dedicated to the Lord. That's very important for us to do. That's why we have baby dedications, right? But we, we mostly only do it for the babies. What happens if people come to Christ Later on in their life and they have kids that are 12, 13, 14, 15 that never went through the ceremony, we need to start having ceremonies for the big kids too because when you come to faith in Christ, you start something. So now just dedicate all your children to the Lord right then. Well, we didn't do it when you was a baby. Start right now. We were in Bolivia and the last night of being there in El Alto, we had like a, celebration and a a, a crusade for um, celebrating and for a healing service. And there was a number of people that came from the community. We We went to the community, did a little evangelism and, you know, gave out some reading glasses and Bibles and things like that. And they came to this service, and it was a lot of young people there. And I was just moved in my heart to have them all line up in front and to pray over their life and lay hands on them and dedicate them to the Lord. Because it's never too late. Jesus was dedicated to the Lord. He was presented to the Lord in the temple. Then we get to him at age 12 when he should have been following his parents back home from Passover, I believe. He's hanging out in the temple. And the scripture says he was sitting amongst the teachers. Wait a minute. This 12-year-old boy, sitting amongst these older people, and the scripture says he was listening to them and asking them questions. There it is, young people. You want to be blessed? If you're a child, if you're a young person, if you're under 30, if you ever want to be blessed, take the time to listen to people who are older than you that know a whole lot more than you do. Trust me, your parents know more than you. You know, I, I don't even know why they don't let teenagers run for president. They know everything. <laughs> and it's amazing to me. Boogers turned 13, 14, and all of a sudden, mom and dad don't know nothing, and their friends know everything. And they're just as crazy as they are. But Jesus is sitting amongst these older guys, these teachers, asking them questions. And then when he spoke, they listened to him as well. They listened to him as well. Older people, don't shut your ears off when your children or youth are talking because just because you think you know more than them, the reason why we lose a generation is because the young people don't think they're being heard. And I used to make the mistake Of listening with my ears but not with my heart because I would listen to what they were saying and judge what they were saying but I didn't get behind those words to find out what was coming from their heart but the Bible says that they listen to him that's very important for the older you know what I think churches ought to have a youth advisory committee no we can't make them elders because they'll start doing stuff and that'd be crazy um (laughs) Yeah, but if we make a little committee for them to be in leadership so that they can advise the older, that's setting them up for eldership and leadership positions later. And listen to the young people. Tell us about church and and we, we, we need to make some decisions. Listen to the young people and see what they have to say. But we keep them separate. We have separate children's ministry, separate youth ministry, separate elderly ministry, separate ministries, and ain't nobody hanging out together like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. The other thing that I love about Jesus at 12, when he got scolded because he wasn't with his parents, the scripture says he submitted to them. He listened to them. He obeyed them. It's very important, children. Youth, you want to be blessed? Honor your mother and your father that your days may be long upon the earth. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise. Are y'all with me? Honor them. Listen to them. Submit to them. You don't have to like everything they say. You don't have to like their decisions. But trust me, they see more and they know more than you trust your parents. I want to be like Jesus. Well, you want to be like Jesus? Submit to your parents because that's what he did. And he did it for the next 18 years until he was 30 years old when he would start his own ministry to do what he he came to the earth to do, but he submitted himself to his parents first. And then he begins his ministry, called 12 of them that they might be with him. In Mark 3, 14 and 15, to be with me. Do you not know that the very first word Adam ever hears from God is be? Be fruitful. Be be fruitful, multiply, replenish, have dominion. That word be means to be existent, to be present, take your place. Parents, older generation, Everyone, you, you you can't make a difference if you're not present. Be means be there. Be there for them. Be. How you going to multiply? Be fruitful and multiply, Adam. You can't multiply, brother, if you ain't at home. Y'all will get that on Maitland Boulevard on your way out. As I close, as I come bring this thing home, the life of the church, these lessons teach us that God is about multi-generational ministry. And we have to stop this trend where the 20s and 30s something, they get to the adult age and say, you know what? Church ain't for us. Let's go start our own church. Let me tell you why the text of the messages is so important. Because you young people, you're strong, you're zealous, you're passionate but you lack wisdom and knowledge. Older people, you got a lot of knowledge, but you lack a little zeal, a little passion, and some strength. But if we all hang out together, if we all value each other, then the olders can take advantage of the strength of the young, and the young can take advantage of the wisdom of the elderly. Because God is a multi-generational God. The younger generation needs you, older generation. But guess what, older generation? You need the younger. If they don't start getting valued, and appreciated and used of God, this is what happens when they leave high school. They want nothing to do with the church no more. They want nothing to do with God. And you see, you assume, well, they went to Orangewood school, they went to Christian school, and they went to a wonderful church, praise the Lord, and you just talk and talk and just think it's going to organically pass down to. We have to have intergenerational ministry opportunities where the younger are hanging out with the older. How can the older women teach the younger women how to be women and husbands, wives and mothers if you ain't with them? And we can't assume that brushing them off to youth ministry is going to do it. We need youth ministry, but we need youth Adult ministry too, where everybody's listening to each other and we're passing it down so we won't lose a generation so that God can still be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the outing family, the God of David outing the first, Johnny outing, and now David outing the second. And then my job is to pass it on down to my children and trust God with the results. Because the only reason why I went to a dark place because I felt like, you know what, I must have failed. If I didn't get the same result that I gave my parents and my kids are doing something different than how I raised them, It must have been something wrong with me. And when I felt like a failure, it took God himself to literally come sit beside me one day. This is the way I felt. I felt like God just took a chair and sat beside me and said these words in my heart. If you are a failure, then so am I. Say again? Took me back to the Exodus. I fed the children of Israel. I took care of them, gave them my word. I was a father to them, and they turned their backs on me. And he said, if the choices of your children determine how good of a parent you are, then I'm just as big of a failure as you are. Because look at my kids. Okay, let me bring it home. Look at y'all. Look at us. We're all a bunch of failures and knuckleheads in the gospel. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so I'm Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the problems didn't start coming till Jacob's children came along. And then we see how the Lord had to come down through all of that to redeem us. And there are some things that me and my brothers and my sister at the Jacob level are seeing in our children that, we didn't teach them and that we didn't raise them to be, but yet God has a plan and, and the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, trust me with your kids and give them to me if you train them up in the way that they should go, if you were an example to them, and we were. They never seen me with another woman. They never seen me put my arms around another woman in a passionate way. I loved up on their mother all the days of our life. Been faithful to her for 26 years. That's what they saw. That's what they gave. What else I?" I to do, but to trust the God that comes after everyone that he calls by name. God found my grandfather in prison. He found you where you are. He found me where I was. He found you where you are and he'll find your kids. Give them to Jesus. Give them to Jesus. Give them to Jesus. And as I close, as you give them to Jesus, then be real intentional about being a part of their life, listening to them, and having opportunities where they can listen to you. If you're a grandparent, go after your grandchildren. Spend time with them because there's some things that you know that we at the parents' level don't know, but they need to hear it from grandma. They need to hear it from grandpa. They need to hear it. God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that the words, my mouth, meditations of my heart has been acceptable in your sight, Lord. I pray, God, for this great congregation. That The things that they're doing to reach multi-generations of this congregation and community Encourage them, affirm them. But if there's some things that they can do more and greater, put it on the leader's heart. Give them discernment to make that connection so that every generation in this congregation can feel like they're a part of this church so that when the young people become adults, they won't leave Orangewood, but they'll be a part of Orangewood and a part of your church, and a part of you. It is in Jesus' name I pray.